You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Jeremiah uh, chapter 27. Jeremiah 27, verse 1. Uh, we're we're kind of on a little mini-series uh, called Faithfulness in, in a Frightful Forecast. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of apropos for the snow and pending weather, but we're talking about impending doom that Jeremiah spoke of. And we're going to be moving through several chapters today. If you weren't here last week, uh, we, won't share, we won't read all of it again, but we'll kind of summarize it in just a moment. But there was a husband who had a brutal day at work. I mean, it was awful. He had to work late. He got stuck in traffic on the way home and he walked in the door, door of his house and his wife said, look, I've got, I got some good news and some bad news. He said, babe, listen, I've had a bad day. I cannot take any bad news right now. So I want you to just give me the good news. She said, well, okay. Uh, good news is the airbags in our new car work perfectly. <laughs> So uh, not all good news is good news. What do we do when uh, we know there are tough times ahead? And for those of you that missed the, uh, uh, the song last week, we played Credence Clearwater Revival. Next week's going to be a little ZZ Top. So stay tuned. Only if it applies to the sermon, I promise. But I want to read some lyrics from that song that you thought was a really upbeat, happening song. And it is upbeat. But it is it's not good news. I see a bad moon rising. I see trouble on the way. I see earthquakes and lightning. I see bad times today. I hear hurricanes blowing. I know the end is coming soon. I fear rivers overflowing. I hear the voice of raging ruin. Hope you've got your things together. Hope you're quite prepared to die. Looks like we're in for nasty weather. One eye is taken for an eye. Don't go around tonight. There's a... Yeah, y'all know that one, uh-huh. Bunch of heathens. <laughs> hey, John Fogarty couldn't have written a more fearful forecast with a more upbeat, delightful tune. And that dichotomy of like good news in the midst of bad weather is, is the same dichotomy. That dichotomy of trust in the midst of trouble is also found in this four-part story in Jeremiah 27 to 29. How can we remain faithful in a frightful forecast? Let's read God's word starting in Jeremiah 27 verse 1. We'll jump around a little bit today, but if you want to watch on the screen, you can do that. Jeremiah 27, this is kind of part one of the story. Verse 1, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Of course, every time you see capital L-O-R-D, that's that holy version of God's name, Yahweh. It almost couldn't even be spoken back then. It was such a holy name, unique only to him. Verse 2, thus the Lord said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. We actually have a picture of this. All right, so on the left are old school yoke bars. Those were what cattle, it would be hooked up to the, to the cart and pulled. And so there's Jeremiah on the right. He basically put, an, God told him to put an oak, I mean a, a yoke bar on his back as a visible display of the reality of the message Jeremiah was delivering. He had to give some bad news to a bunch of kings who probably were thinking they were going to form a partnership 
to battle against Babylon. But Jeremiah says, nope, that's not going to happen. God actually says, and we'll go back into verse 5, Jeremiah 27, 5. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth. And I give it to whomever it seems right to me. And in this case, it was wicked Babylon. And that's what we touched on last week. Uh, then God basically says, you're going to serve Babylon. And if you do, you'll be fine. You won't lose your land. You'll be fine. But resisting the yoke of Babylon is going to end in disaster for you. So don't do it. Then we come to Jeremiah chapter 28, verse one. This is kind of part two of the story. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, that's the deep fake, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people. So this is a big like public forum here. And he said, thus says the Lord, verse 2, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years... I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I'll break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So Jeremiah says, hey, amen. Man, I hope you're, I hope you're telling the truth. I sure hope that happens. But let me just warn you, uh, the prophets before us didn't tell us that. But you know what? If it comes true... In a couple of years, then we're going to know you're telling the truth. Verse 10, then the prophet Hananiah, as if he hadn't heard a word, Jeremiah just said, took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah and he broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people saying, thus says the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon from the neck of all the nations within two years. But Jeremiah, the prophet went away, kept his mouth shut, said, okay, we'll see. Verse 12, Part three, sometime after that prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you've broken wooden bars, but you've made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I've put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him the beast of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord hasn't sent you and you've made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you've uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Whew, that's why we got to watch out. I want to say only what God's word says and I don't want to go beyond it because that's what Hananiah did. Jeremiah 29, verse one, this is kind of part four, last part of the story. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now jump to verse five. Here's what he says. Build houses live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. And, and I just want to pause here. I think about Memphis we're top, we're one of the top uh, cities and murder and crime. 
But there's a lot of good churches in Memphis. And there's a lot of people struggling for the Lord. My own parents still live and serve in Nutbush in a rough area. And they're seeing people come to know faith, come to know Christ and, and put their faith in Christ. And they're seeing baptisms and they're ministering. And so they're seeking the welfare of this sinful city. Verse eight, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and don't listen to the dreams that they dream for it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I didn't send them declares the Lord for thus says the Lord when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll visit you and I'll fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope then you will call upon me and you will come and pray to me and I will hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Kevin Skinner to come and ask God's blessings on the service today. Kevin, thank you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, the opportunity to come together and to hear your word. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your peace. Thank you that even when the world seems out of control, you're always in control. You are sovereign. Pray you be with Went that uh, the word he brings from your word, you would apply it to our lives, the words of our mouths, mm -hmm. the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. May it, may it be so. Well, there was a, uh, a farmer who went into his banker and he, he said, I got some bad news and some good news. Banker said, well, what, you know, what's the bad news? Farmer said, well, uh, I'm not going to be making my mortgage payments anytime soon. And as a matter of fact, that crop loan that I've been paying down for the last 10 years, I'm, I won't be paying that off either. And um, I'm going to be stopping payments on my tractors and all that other, all those other equipment loans as well. Matter of fact, Truth is, I'm probably going to have to give up the farm and file bankruptcy. Uh, the banker was shocked. He was like, what in the world? I mean, what's the good news? He said, the good news is I'm not switching banks. <laughs> what? That's just wonderful. When bad news is inevitable, it sure doesn't seem wonderful, right? Uh, when they say, ain't that just wonderful, we don't really mean that. We mean, well, that just stinks. <laughs> That's what we mean. And I didn't think I'm, I don't think that I'm the only one here today that would absolutely love to have a godlier response to fearful forecast than just getting angry and arguing and throwing up my hands in despair and saying, well, ain't that just grand? Wouldn't it be a radical change in 2024 if we had some tools in our spiritual toolboxes that we could pull out that could make the task of trusting Christ in the midst of treachery a little easier to do. The right tool for the right job, and I hope we get some of those today. Last week we started with silver lining number one, God's ways are right. They're right. And the first part of that, which we finished last week, was God's decisions are higher than our understanding. If we as Christians encounter unavoidable bad news, if we live in a world, a nation, where unavoidable judgment is a biblical certainty, how do we cope? 
<laughs> How do we rejoice in the Lord always? Well, that's where we have to remember what we talked about last week, the incommunicable attributes of God. Those are the things, that those are the ways God is not like us. We are like God in some ways. He, he gave us some of the attributes. Many of you have some of the attributes of your parents, not all of them, but some of them. And it's the same with us in the Lord. But the ones we don't have, the incommunicable ones, are his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, his sovereignty, his transcendence, his immutability, his self-existence. They echo through the halls of the churches and through the hearts of his children that we are out of our depth when it comes to fully understanding God. In the scope of ratios, you know, uh, a BB to a basketball, one to a million, one to a trillion, one to a gazillion. In the scope of ratios, the mind of man is hardly visible against the backdrop of all God knows. Psalm 139 verse 17 says, how precious to me are your thoughts. O God, the sum, how vast is the sum of them. How vast is the sum of your thoughts. Deuteronomy 3, verse 24. O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. 1 Chronicles 17, verse 20. O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Deuteronomy 33, 26, there is none like the God of Jeshurun. Jeshurun is a, is a reference to God's people. It means upright one. It's funny that God would call his wicked people upright one. But we are upright through the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, none like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in his majesty. You ever see that visible in, a, in some uh, Hollywood depiction of it? This is where they're trying, this is where they're stealing it from. First Kings 8, verse 23, O God, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Second Samuel 7, verse 22, for this reason you are great, O Lord, for there is none like you. There is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Uh, Psalm 86, verse 8. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. For Samuel 2, verse 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there's no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. And listen to Deuteronomy 32, verse 31. Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves judge this. Our God ain't like the others, right? There's only one God. All the other gods require you to come up to them. But only one God in all the world, of all the gods, of all the religions in the world, comes down to you and draws you to him and requires nothing but your faith in return. There is no other God like our God. Jeremiah had already proclaimed this back in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 6. There is none like you. There is none like you. Verse 6, verse 7. In the space of our ignorance, right? In the space of what we don't know or comprehend, the problems, the failures, the judgments, the futures, the future decisions, certain fearful facts that lay out in front of us. In the space of our ignorance is the grace of of God's perfection. And in the space of what you don't know, God is working for your benefit. And Jeremiah had already spoken of it. When our vision is blurred by fearful forecasts, we must remember God's not like us. 
all right? His decisions are higher than our understanding. Second, God's decisions are just in ways we may not see. He is going to judge the world. He's actively doing it and he's going to do it in finality. That's going to happen. Jeremiah 27 verse 4, Now I have given all the lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the beast of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until, there's a stopping point, until the time of his own land comes, then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. We tend to love swift justice, right? Except when it's wielded out on us. <laughs> We're like, man, give it to them unless it's coming to us. And so church, it's vital, absolutely vital to our spiritual contentment to understand the justice of God. I'd hazard a guess that more than half of all our anger issues <laughs> stem from doubting the justice of God. That's not fair. Walking through life, looking and comparing and saying, that's not fair. How many of you would be willing to admit, by show of hands, that you've cussed at your little league baseball game? In your heart, in your heart only. I mean, you know, we don't want to say it out loud, but... And by the way, those who say, well, you thought it, you might as well say it. Well, why sin twice? Just keep it to yourself. <laughs> I, had a, I served with a guy in Virginia. This is a true story. He, he was the children's pastor. And his best friend in seminary, this, well, you know, we're confessing our sins. I might as well confess his. He said he would get in his, he said he'd just get in his truck sometimes because you can't hear, you know, when you shut the doors and he'd just cuss. He'd just say every cuss word he could think of and then he'd get out of the truck and be done. So some of y'all, listen, if you need to pull into our parking lot during the week, just have your little cuss fist fit out there in the parking lot. Nobody will hear you. You'll be caught on camera and we can lip re read, but hey, listen, at, at a, on a, one Saturday, I wasn't actually there. But my wife, Vicky, sweet Vicky, she was out there on the sidelines with all her little soccer mom buddies. And, and they were yelling. They were living vicariously through the athleticism of their children. <laughs> and they were yelling so loud, coaching the team so loud, because obviously the coach can't do it. And they were refing so loud that they got reprimanded. They got put in timeout. They put the, he put the whole sideline in timeout. This is a true story. It happened at Germantown Baptist Church. I wasn't there, so I wasn't part of it. Now, Vicki would probably explain that differently, but there were disciplinary actions taken that day. Am I, am I right? See, she waters it down. She waters it down. I, I told the truth. So here's the problem. Here's the problem with all this. Listen, here's, here's our problem. We take these referees and we think God needs a replay, right? We think he missed the call. We want to throw the red flag. You know, in football, they throw a red flag to, have a, to, to look into the screen and look at the rerun and, and review it. And so we think that. Do you not know, Lord, how much more wicked Babylon is than us? How dare you let them off the hook? I mean, we got our faults, Lord, but Babylon, I mean, come on. Of all the people, you're going to send us into exile. And we may not see it, but listen, 
In our faith, we look like that, that angry coach running down the sidelines with veins bulging out of his neck as he's yelling vitriol in the ears of the, of the refs, telling him that's the worst call he's ever seen in his life. That's what we look like when we're angry at God or when we're confused about the future. But remember, God's not like other refs. He needs no review. He doesn't have to press his face against some replay screen on the sideline and delineate with his referee team on what the call should be. He saw the play before it even happened. And he allowed it to happen or caused it to happen. Jeremiah 27 verse 21 says, uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord in the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem. Those are vessels just mean the parts, that, that, like gold pieces and different things that were used in the temple back then before Jesus died. They would have sacrifices. And so some of those vessels had been stolen. They shall be carried to Babylon and remain there until the day when I visit them, declares the Lord. Then I will bring them back and restore them to this place. I'm going to judge it. I'm going to sort things out. Don't you worry. Jeremiah 28, verse 17, in that same year, in the seventh month, the deep fake, pro fake prophet, false prophet Hananiah died. All right, I think that's a judgment. Jeremiah 28, verse 1, in that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord. Now, why am I sharing that with you again? Because Hananiah's false prophecy was in the fourth year of Zedekiah, and historians tell us that would have been around 593 BC, all right? Well, about 20 years later, on the, on the button almost, 573 BC, we have the events of Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. Listen to this. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, is, it, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar. To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. Remember, he had given Nebuchadnezzar the beast of the field, but he's not, he's not acknowledging God, and so now <laughs> he's going to become one. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Hey, I gave this to you. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven because he'd wake up on the ground till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. Friend, listen, pay attention to God's track record the next time you feel his frightful forecast is somehow unfair. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, The rock, his, per his work is perfect and all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just, that means legally, heavenly legal system says it's just, it's right. 
and upright is he. Psalm 89 verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Romans 2 verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality of the heavenly sort. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but, also, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. I'm not gonna get special treatment in heaven because I'm a preacher because I gave my life to serve the Lord in some sacrificial way. That ain't happening. There is no partiality. God wanted Israel and Babylon to know that there is no God like him. Just because we're living in Babylon doesn't mean the sins of Babylon are going to go unpunished. It doesn't mean our faith will never be vindicated. It doesn't mean our great righteous uh, referee has somehow missed a call. Just because God is patient doesn't mean he's forgotten. He hasn't forgotten unrepentant sin. And he hasn't forgotten the death and resurrection of his only son, Jesus, that cleanses us as we trust in him. Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God put it this way in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Hallelujah. But we stop there most of the time and don't read the next verse. The next verse says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You ain't sweeping, no. <laughs> you, you might as well not hide it in here, folks. <laughs> right? Because God's going to see it. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. And this isn't the waiting He's not waiting, he's not holding back waiting to be gracious to you. It means he's on the edge of his seat waiting to be gracious to you. I tell people all the time, our, my only daughter ate ice cream a lot and she ate it for one reason and one reason only, because she asked for it. I wanted to give her ice cream, but I wasn't gonna just give it to her. She had to ask for it and I wanted to give her something good. Just like us on Christmas morning, you know, watching your kids open gifts. I long for that. I enjoy being, I seeing the graciousness of others and being gracious toward my children. How much more so the God of heaven. A few weeks ago, uh, we, we saw the rapid unscheduled disassembly of the Apostle Paul. His theology just got busted up. You know, he was... Uh, committing acts against the church. Acts 9 verse 1 says, but Paul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Uh, you know, so he's actively involved in persecuting God's people. And then God appears to him on the road to Damascus. And he says in verse 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And he said, who are you, Lord? I don't even know you. How could I be persecuting you? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, Paul hadn't laid a single finger on Jesus. Jesus had ascended into heaven. He hadn't laid a finger on Jesus physically. Now, he had put families in prison unjustly. He had held the clothes while Stephen was stoned to death in front of him. He had done that, but it doesn't say, uh, you know, why are you persecuting Stephen? Why are you persecuting uh, the church? He says, you're persecuting me, right? Church, we may still be living in Babylon, but those who persecute your faith will either one day repent, and I pray they will, or they will one day be punished. There's no alternate route to eternity. Heaven or hell, grace or torment, forgiveness or condemnation. So instead of impatience and anger and venomous attacks on the pagans of Babylon, which we are often very much alike, how about we see the silver lining in that God's decisions are just in ways we may not see. Where's the silver lining when the forecast is inevitable and frightful? It's silver lining number one. God's ways are right. His decisions are higher than our understanding. His decisions are just in ways we may not see. Friend, listen. Do you know why you're going to go to heaven if you go? You're going to go because it's absolutely 100% legally right for you to go. You're not going because God's like, hey, come on in. Slip in here. Get in. You know, he's not look he's not like playing lookout for you. You know, when we lived in New York, there was a, a guy that tried to break we lived in the inner city and while I was working on my masters and there was a guy one time that broke into our house. Of course he didn't know that my next door neighbors were drug traffickers who didn't want anybody messing with any of their neighbors. Praise God. Never thank God so much for drug traffickers. <laughs> And that guy was standing there by my car. I was gone, and, he, and Vicky and I were both gone in one of the cars, but the other one was there. And he was like, there's an alleyway, and his buddy was breaking in the back door. We, we got home and saw where somebody tried to jimmy the door. But that drug trafficker guy comes out and says, hey, what's your problem? They exchanged a few niceties. And the guy down by my truck's like, you know, blank, you know, blank, you know, get out of here. And so the, my, my neighbor's like, okay. Okay, you stay right there. And he got on the phone and that guy left because <laughs> it's like, don't mess with him. We're not, we're not, God's not playing lookout with you. You're not going to sneak in a back door of heaven. If you go to heaven, it's going to be because the gavel dropped in heaven. The judge made his decision and it was absolutely right. First John 1 9 says what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. It is absolutely right. It's right. He's not like doing you a favor. He's legally making a, a judgment that's legal. Why is it legal? Because Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for your sins. So it's absolutely, the, the heavenly courtroom is, has made its jurisdiction because you have trusted in Christ and the blood of Jesus to save you and nothing else. That's how you'll get to heaven, on the justice of God. So when you think about bleakness that may be ahead in this year, that is inevitable, and it is. It is inevitable. So how can you have uh, hope in the midst of that? <laughs> Justice of God. I banked my whole life. You know, we had two great older kids, and we have two great younger kids. Uh, Vicki and I, if you don't know, we got a 27-year-old, couple of grandkids, a 25-year-old, one on the way, or two. Those weird generations, they won't just get an ultrasound and tell us for Pete's sake. Everything's got to be a surprise. Well, we see your belly, so I mean... 
Surprise. All right. <laughs> but anyway, just venting a little bitterness this morning. But my, so our, our older kids were great. And so my, I've had buddies that knew me in high school where I was not walking with the Lord. And they're like, oh, you just wait. You're going you gonna to get it on the second two. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you didn't catch flack. You didn't get what you deserve with the first two. But you're going to get them with the second two. And I said, you've lost your mind. I said, I banked my entire life on not getting what I deserve. My whole life. <laughs> my whole life is banked on one thing, that Jesus Christ died for my sins and I will not have to pay for mine. And it is right. It's legally right because God is just. So you remember that. Remember that when you're judging others <laughs> that the, you've spurned the grace of God many times and he's been just. But if you go to heaven, it's because it's right. Amen. God is right and his ways are right. And that's how we have hope in the midst of a fearful forecast. Would you stand? Father God, we, we love you and we praise you. And we, do, we, we cannot even comprehend your justness, Lord. We see so much injustice. We so, see so many courtrooms and, and uh, backdoor payoffs and deals brokered between lawyers. And, and we say that's not right. That's not just. But God, we serve a God who is perfectly just. And there is nothing that we will ever get away with apart from the blood of Jesus. <laughs> and we either get away with all of it or we get away with nothing. Lord, uh, so God, we bank it all. We put all our eggs in the basket uh, of Jesus. Just like we sang, isn't the name of Jesus wonderful, Lord? There's no other name under heaven whereby men and women and children can be saved. And so we, we follow you because you're just. We don't always see justice. We want it to come quicker. <laughs> but we're thankful in, in knowing that it's coming. And knowing that it's already been spent. For those who've called on the name of the Lord, you have, you have willed out your judgments. And it is right for Wint Fox to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not because I deserve it, because the blood of Jesus Christ paid for me. I'm bought with a price. I'm not my own. I am his. I am your child. And I pray if there's anyone in here today that is not called on you, they will call on you today. You say if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And we need to profess that publicly. You say if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. So God, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, they'd call on you now. I pray for those that may want a church home. Uh, maybe they're a you know, frequent guest or they've just been hovering and not knowing where to plug in. I pray that they would find their home here. And if not here, some church that's genuine, transparent, and preaches God's word. I pray they would plug in and be involved in the local church and exercise their gifts for your glory. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.